Hello, everyone at home or watching online. Nice to see you. Now then, are you any good at uh, remembering people's names? Uh, some people are really good at this, aren't they? And some people are, you know, they say, oh, I'm terrible with names, much better with faces. Uh, that's, that's a cough out, isn't it? We could all do faces. Um, now then, have you ever been in that awkward moment where you're in a conversation with someone or someone's, you meet someone for the first time and you have a little chat and they tell you their name and about two minutes into the conversation you realize, I did, I've forgotten their name already. And then you're like, oh, shall I ask them again? What was your name again? And then you, you've switched off to what they're actually talking to you about. And then, okay, yes, I've been there before. Now, one of my teachers at school, he wasn't one of my actual teachers. I didn't have him as a subject, but he used to take the football team and he was in charge of the exams. So I would come across him throughout school. He called me Michael all the way through school. And you know when it gets to a point where it's just, it was too awkward to correct him, like, years down the line. And then funnily, funnily enough, during lockdown, me and Fresh went for a walk in Singleton Park, and we bumped into him. I said, oh, hello, Michael. I had to get Fresh in the eyes, just don't, don't say anything. So, Mr. Brown, if you're watching, this is my confession, my actual name is Matthew, but, you know, it's close enough. Anyway, today, as Sarah said, we're starting a new series, uh, My Story, eyewitness accounts. And so I've got a bit of an introductory talk for you today, okay? So it's going to be a little bit of history in there, okay? So bear with me, and uh, I'll enjoy it anyway. Hopefully you might as well. So this series is inspired by names. Now, have you ever noticed in the four Gospels, the four accounts of Jesus' life, that some of the characters that Jesus encountered are named, we get their names, and some of them aren't. So when you see the, the public figures or the famous people at the time, people like Pilate or Herod or John the Baptist, they are you know, usually named. The 12 disciples, and obviously Jesus had more than just 12 disciples. There were lots more who traveled in a group with him and at different times. They're usually named, or the 12 are all named, and the other disciples, often lots of them are named, but not all of them. Uh, but then the people who had encounters with Jesus, think of the people who were healed, uh, people like the paralyzed man who was lowered through the roof, or the woman who was bent double, or the man with leprosy who ran to Jesus and said, if you're willing, you can make me clean, you can heal me, and Jesus said, I am willing. These, you know, lots of these people aren't named. Or Jesus, all the people Jesus ate with. Uh, Jesus was famous for having meals with all different types of people, and even often going to the houses of famous uh, or well-known Pharisees and the religious leaders who would question him, and uh, often these people aren't named. In fact, most of them are never named, only occasionally they are. So, for example, in Luke, one time we read, one of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him, so Jesus went to his home and sat down to eat, and that's kind of a typical you know, way one of these stories is described. But then in this particular one, later on, it says, then Jesus, when they're having a conversation, then Jesus answered his thoughts. Simon, he said to the Pharisee, I have something to say to you. Think of the times where Jesus healed someone of blindness, all the people that Jesus healed of blindness. But then on one occasion, as Rachel so well illustrated with Lego, uh, we see this. They came to Jericho as Jesus and his disciples together. A large crowd were leaving the city. A blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. So occasionally, rarely, we get some names. So why is that? Why are these characters the exception to the norm and we get their names? 
Well, uh, theologians and like New Testament historians, uh, particularly one called Richard Beckham, who wrote a book called Jesus and the Eyewitnesses, which is a really good book, um, they've argued that the reason that some characters are named is that it's likely that they went on to be followers of Jesus and that they were known in the early church. And so their name is put in there as like a reference point in the story. Uh, it's a person that the early readers and followers of Jesus would recognize. So if I was telling you a story now about, you know, when I went to university in a different city from here, and uh, something happened to me and it involved people that none of you knew, then, you know, there's a good chance that I wouldn't, like, include the names. Is it? I would just say, oh, one of my housemates or one of my lecturers or, you know, I was walking down in town and this guy said to me, and I wouldn't throw in the name. But if I told you a story about something funny that happened up in the church offices, uh, like the time that Margaret kept calling Bear Grills Grill Bears without realizing it and it amusing us all, then I'd include Margaret's name because um, you know Margaret and it's relevant to you and I can embarrass her in front of you all. Thank you, Margaret, and give her a tease because I know she'll enjoy it. So, does that make sense? So, for example, one interesting character which kind of illustrates this, Simon of Cyrene. Now, have you ever got picked out of a crowd? Are you someone that gets picked out of a crowd? I am unfortunate enough to have a face that always gets picked out of a crowd. When we were on a school trip and we go to a pantomime and they got to pick a kid to come up on the stage, I would randomly be the kid they would pick. When we go on like a little family holiday and they'd have like the holiday entertainment and they need someone to come and dance on stage or do something else embarrassing, I would be the one to get picked. A couple of Christmases ago, we went to Covent Garden, me and Chris, Precious, we were visiting her family, and you know when they have the street performers, and there was this magician there, and he was, you know, a big crowd all around him, Precious, oh, let's have a little watch, and I said to her, let's not stop, because I can guarantee you, when he needs a volunteer, I'll get picked out, and she said, oh, look, there's hundreds of people here, like, you know, we just stand over here, so we're standing there, and literally within one minute, he's like, who wants to volunteer? No one puts their hand up, he scans around the crowd, why, don't, why not you? And pulls me out, makes me dance in front of everyone, makes me take my coat off, do other embarrassing things. I don't know why this happens to me all the time. Now then, when, um, during um, Jesus' crucifixion, the day when he went all the way to the cross and died on the cross for the things that people have, and us have ever done wrong or ever will do, because none of us are perfect, so we could be forgiven for those things, and three days later, he was raised to life again. Jesus is alive now in heaven, and he gives all of us, when we put our trust in him, the gift of eternal life so we can have eternity with him. Isn't that amazing? Well, when Jesus was going towards the cross, as part of the crucifixion, um, people who were being crucified would be flogged and, uh, or whipped, and it was brutal. And then Jesus had to carry his cross through the streets to the place of his execution, and having been so beaten up already, he was unable to do it. He didn't have the strength to do it. And so as they're on the way, the Roman soldiers, they look amongst you know, the crowds on the streets, and they pick out a random guy, and they make him carry Jesus' cross. And so this is how Luke describes it. It says, as they led Jesus away, a man named Simon, who was from Cyrene, happened to be coming in from the countryside. The soldiers seized him and put the cross on him, and made him carry it behind Jesus. And that's it. You know, we don't hear anything else about this guy, uh, Simon of Cyrene, just some random guy coming in from the countryside on his way into Jerusalem, 
huge crowds because it was the Passover festival. He gets picked on, and that's it, just some random guy. Now, obviously, this is an important moment in Jesus' life, and carrying his cross, you know, is a big deal. Imagine that. But at the same time, picture the scene and the chaos of the day that Jesus was crucified. Jesus being paraded through the streets, huge crowds of people because it was the Passover festival, the confusion of what's happening. Jesus was only secretly arrested the night before, tried through the night. Now suddenly you're waking up. You see, you find out what's happening. Jesus being crucified, all this crazy stuff going on. Most of his followers had run away, a few of them watching at a distance. Only the women disciples and John actually are at the cross to witness it there, right up front. And in amongst all that, who is going to remember the random guy that the soldiers picked on for five minutes, ten minutes, to carry the cross, you know, in amongst everything else that's happening, unless that random guy isn't a random guy anymore, but ends up following Jesus and being a part of the church. And this is the key part of it as well, telling his story. How else are we going to know about Simon of Cyrene unless Simon tells his story, shares about what happened on the day he encountered Jesus, giving his eyewitness account of what happened and the difference that Jesus made in his life. Now, in Mark's gospel, Mark's gospel is considered to be the first of the earliest of the gospels written. He adds in a little extra detail about Simon. He says this, a certain man from Cyrene, Simon, the father of Alexander and Rufus, was passing by on his way in from the country, and they forced him to carry Jesus' cross. So Mark even tells us who Simon's kids are. Like, what's that all about? Now, the gospel writers are so precise with their words, like nothing is wasted. They crafted the gospels, you know, amazingly. There's no waffle in there. You know when you go like, oh, I've got 500 words of this essay left, so you kind of string out the sentence. There's none of that in the gospels. And yet, in the middle of the story of Jesus' crucifixion, and Mark's is the shortest of the gospels as well, in the middle of like the most important part, the most important event in all of the world's history, he adds this seemingly irrelevant detail that Simon was the father of Alexander and Rufus. Who the heck are Alexander and Rufus? (laughs) Unless Alexander and Rufus go on to be followers of Jesus and have some relevance to his audience. And the people reading it, oh, that's Alexander's dad. I didn't know, you know, oh, that's amazing. So Mark is throwing it in for all those in the church who know Marcus and Rufus, that the guy who carried Jesus across, he was their dad. That's amazing. Now, Paul, he wrote a letter to the church in Rome, uh, called Romans, and uh, that church there had lots of links to Jerusalem, and uh, in it, he says this right at the end. He says, greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother, who has been a mother to me too. So could this be the same Rufus? Who knows? I mean, it may be, it may not be. It could be a different Rufus, but that's interesting, isn't it? Now, anyway... What I love about this is you see here the legacy of people sharing their story. That now it's not just Simon, but his sons as well. And all the people who know his sons. And you see the authenticity of it as well. That these are the names of real people, real people who were there, real people who saw what happened at the time. 
It's like Paul later, uh, when he was on trial in front of uh, Festus and King Agrippa, and he's being on trial for his faith, and uh, he addresses the king, and he says this, King Agrippa knows about these things I speak. I speak boldly, for I'm sure these events are all familiar to him, for they were not done in a corner, but out there in the streets where people saw with real names and shared their stories. Now, I've got a quote for you here from a guy called Quadratus of Athens, okay? Now, this was written around the year 124 AD or so that he uh, wrote uh, this, and Quadratus was an apologist, which means he wrote to defend Christianity. Often, Christians were persecuted, and all kinds of lies were told about them, you know, they believe this, or they do that, or this is why we should persecute them, blah de blah So, you know, in the first century, lots... He's arguably the first of people who wrote in defense of Christianity. No, this is what Christianity is about. This is what it means, and this is why it's real. Uh, he, he'd be like um, today's version of Lee Strobel, who wrote The Case for Christ. So anyway, Quadratus, he addressed a, a letter or a work to the emperor Hadrian when he visited Athens. And Hadrian, you may know from Hadrian's Wall up in the north of England. Anyone visited Hadrian's Wall before? which he probably built to keep out the Scots, I imagine. So this is who uh, Quadratus wrote it to. <laughs> uh, now, okay, the equivalent of the dates, okay? So I'll read in a sec. So imagine today, so Quadratus writing in 124 about Jesus' life, uh, or people who saw Jesus. So it would be the equivalent if, if one of us in the room today decided to write about something that happened in maybe the early Second World War or the beginning of the Second World War. So, you know, lots of us would know someone or many people who were in the war or alive that time and hear their stories, you know, maybe a grandparent, maybe for me, uh, people used to come into our school assemblies and share their stories, their eyewitness accounts. So that would be the equivalent of Quadratus writing about people who saw and witnessed Jesus. Does that make sense? So this is what he says. The works of our Savior were always present, for they were true. Those who were healed, those who rose from the dead, were always present, were also always present, not merely when the Savior was living on the earth, but also for a considerable time after his departure, so that some of them survived even into our times. So here we see how Quadratus is sharing about people sharing their stories, even in his day, and him hearing firsthand the eyewitness stories. So these names and these people it was more than that just them being known because they went on to be followers of Jesus and a part of the church, but the key ingredient is that they went on to tell their stories about the difference that Jesus made in their life. So when we read about Bartimaeus, as we read in the kids' spot this morning, uh, it's not just that Peter or John, you know, later on, uh, they were recalling things that Jesus did. Oh, one time we were out with Jesus, and we went down into Jericho, and this man was shouting, and, you know, I think his name was Bartimaeus, and, you know, Jesus said, you know, what do you want me to do for you? It's not just Peter recalling the story, but instead, it's Bartimaeus' story. It's Bartimaeus who's been going around saying, I lived in Jericho, and I was a beggar, and this is what happened to me, and this is my story. We're hearing it from Bartimaeus' account. It's his eyewitness story that the Gospels are recording for us. So Richard Beckham, I know it says Borkham, but apparently, pronounce it Beckham, uh, maybe he wants to be like David, I don't know. <laughs> this is from his book. This is how he summarizes in one paragraph what's taken me 15 minutes. He says this. 
There is one phenomenon in the Gospels that has never been satisfactorily explained. It concerns names. Many characters in the Gospels are unnamed, but others are named. I want to suggest the possibility that many of these named characters were eyewitnesses who not only originated the traditions to which their names are attached, but also continue to tell their stories as authoritative guarantors of their traditions. In some cases, the evangelists, that's the gospel authors, may well have known them. Now, that's not to say that those who aren't named in the gospels didn't go on to follow Jesus as well. Maybe they did, and there's lots of reasons why we might not have their name. Jesus traveled a lot in the countryside and in areas not uh, connected, if you like, to Jerusalem, where the early church, like the hub of it was, and you know, where likely you know, these things were maybe written down or that kind of stuff. And also the early church faced a lot of persecution, so the believers were scattered all over in different directions. And with that as well, uh, Borkham or Beckham argues that there might be some cases of protective anonymity, she says. So you know like when you watch the news and someone's uh, you know, telling their story and they hide their identity, well, he says a little bit of this is going on in the Gospels as well, because sometimes it could be dangerous to be a follower of Jesus back then, and we might have a hint of it here. So Mark's Gospel, as I said, was written early, and when Mark is describing the night of Jesus' arrest, he says how the soldiers and the guards were sent by the high priests and religious leaders, and that one of Jesus' followers, when they came in to arrest Jesus, took out a sword and chopped one of the servants of the high priest's ear off, who came to arrest Jesus. He says this, but one of the men with Jesus pulled out his sword and struck the high priest's slave, slashing off his ear. And then Luke tells us that uh, Jesus said, no more of this, and he touched the man's ear and healed him. But neither of them tell us which one of which one of the disciples did it? They're not naming names because obviously they'd, you know, they'd get them in trouble, isn't it? It's like, who shot Phil Mitchell? Like, who slashed off the high priest here? Later on, uh, John, he's, he wrote his gospel a little bit later on. His comes later. And so by the time John's writing, maybe you know, Peter might have already been executed himself. So it didn't matter anymore. Like, you know, so John spills the beans. He gets the secret out, and he's like, it was Peter. <laughs> so it says this. Then Simon Peter drew a sword and slashed off the right ear of Malchus, the high priest slave. But Jesus said to Peter, put your sword back in its sheath. So here, we don't just find out John's like, yeah, it was Peter all along. <laughs> but also, Peter's like, thanks, John. <laughs> but also he tells us that the high priest slave was a guy called Malchus. And it's his ear that was healed. Now, wouldn't it be amazing if we know that this is Mal you know, it's Malchus, not just any of the slaves, because this Malchus went on to be a follower of Jesus. And uh, a man involved in the plot to arrest Jesus secretly and have him killed has his life transformed after an encounter with Jesus and being healed in that very moment. Isn't that classic Jesus to do something like that. The very person coming to arrest him, he heals and saves. That's amazing. So I could imagine Malchus telling his story. That's a particularly good one, isn't it? Especially if he still had the scar. You know, like a good gruesome, like, this is my shark bite story. This was the time my ear was slashed off. Maybe one of his ears is like old and, you know, and the other one's all shiny and new. <laughs> <laughs> 
So, in this series, we're going to explore. He had moisturized the other one. Uh, anyway, in this series, we're going to explore the stories of the eyewitnesses, the people who are named in the Gospels, the people who encountered Jesus and went on to tell their tale. And how amazing the impact of those people who shared their stories, the impact that it's had across the world today and how it encourages us too. And so we too as well, we can be encouraged to share our stories of what Jesus has done in our life and the difference that makes. Now the past few months in uh, Bishop Vaughan, the school up the road, we've been uh, doing a youth alpha there at lunchtime. We've had around 40 young people coming along. And this week, Beth shared uh, her story. So a few years ago, Alpha came to film Beth uh, telling her story because she uh, went on Alpha as a teenager, decided to follow Jesus after doing that. So they came to fill her story as a little bit of a promo. And uh, this week, we shared, we showed it. It's a really good video. We showed it to the young people, and Beth shared a bit about her story, etc. And in her story, she says how, you know, in school, she loved music, and she loved to sing, and she used to sing in the choir. Because of the pressures of fitting into school and, you know, that kind of stuff, she, she quit um, singing and she quit the choir because she didn't feel it was, uh, you know, that kind of peer pressure and, you know, how that might look. And, um, and, but then later on, when she was in year 11 and about 16, Flick, who had gone to Alpha and uh, became a Christian, invited Beth along and, and a whole bunch of our friends went together. And that's when Beth decided to follow Jesus. And after that, she, you know, she had felt a freedom to be who God had made her to be and rediscovered her music, if you like, and the, her love of singing. And isn't that great? Because she blesses us with it, doesn't she? And, you know, she sings all over with stuff with New Wine Cymru and other things and, you know, really blesses us. So thank you, Beth. And it's a fantastic story. But what really struck me this week when she was in the school sharing it is I, it took me back to then after that how... Uh, in school, at the time when we were still there, Flick, Beth, myself, we would run uh, Alpha in the school and do like lunchtime um, uh, kind of services or, or like youth kind of thing for the younger pupils. And Beth would bring a guitar in and sing like the latest song she had learned. And we would do that when we were in school. And that's like paved the way for us to do it now, these last, you know, as adults, if you like. And I was just thinking how significant it is, you know, for Beth, she is impacted hundreds and hundreds of pupils um, because of this. And it's an ongoing impact that it has, all from people sharing their stories. Flick sharing her story with Beth, and then Beth going on. Isn't it amazing? So as we go through the stories, and as we go through the series, we're going to hear all different types of stories. We're going to have stories of people who had their lives changed by Jesus. People like Zacchaeus who wasn't afraid to cheat and steal his way to success and was now wealthy and powerful, the chief tax collector of his region, employed by the Roman army, but wasn't satisfied until he encountered Jesus, who called him by name and ate with him. And in that simple encounter, it turns Zacchaeus' life around, and he went on to become the most generous man that you could possibly imagine, and uh, turned his life around. We're going to hear stories of people who were healed, like Bartimaeus, and went on to tell their story. And I remember a few years ago when we were running healing cafes up in our Penland building, and there was this one lady, Diane. Uh, many of you have seen the video. She had a, you know, a bad shoulder, been to physio, had acupuncture, nothing would touch it, she says. 
and then she got prayed for and healed. And many of you have seen the video where she's moving it. Just, just, I can't believe it. I can't believe it. I can't believe it. She was totally amazed. And then a couple of years later, I was in Belfast, and we were running a healing cafe there. We'd be doing a training with a church. And on the night of the healing cafe, people had invited their friends. And there was one lady there who worked in the local chip shop. And some of the team had gone to get chips before the healing cafe. She was there in a sling serving chips. So they invited her along. She had just had surgery on her shoulder. She couldn't move it. She was in pain. And she was in the healing cafe. And when she saw the video of Diane sharing her story of her shoulder being healed, straight away she's like, someone pray for me. And she got healed straight away. And uh, she was totally amazed. After having surgery, not long, you know, she came in a sling and she left with, that, with no sling, um, back to work. So that was amazing. So sharing stories, powerful. Finally, we're going to hear people's stories of people who were just mainly friends of Jesus. They would hang out together. They would eat together. They would laugh together. They would chat together. They would see some miracles as well, obviously. But Jesus is an amazing friend. And he invites us in our own walk to an ever-deepening friendship with him. And so as we go through this series, I want to encourage you, whether you're exploring about, well, who is Jesus for the first time, or whether you've been a friend of Jesus and following Jesus for many years, to allow these stories to inspire you to deepen your own friendship with Jesus and to draw closer with him and to share your story of the things that Jesus has done and is doing in your life with the people that you know and the people around you, just like the people in the Gospels did, so that others can be inspired and encouraged and get to know Jesus himself through their story. As Sarah shared earlier, James says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. So let's be inspired to do this in this series. You up for that? So why don't I pray? And then I think Beth and the band are going to come and lead us in a song so we can kick off this new series by just responding to that invitation from Jesus to, you know what, I want to I wanna have an ever-deepening friendship with Jesus, and I want him to add to my story so I've I got something to share as well. You up for that? So why don't we stand together, and we'll pray together, and then Beth and the band will, uh, will lead us in that. Jesus, I thank you for all the people who encountered you, that you transformed their lives and they went on to tell their stories so that we know about them today. And I thank you that you meet us in our lives and you want to be a part of our story and you want us to be a part of your story, of what you're doing in this world, of your rescue and your faithfulness and your love. And so right now, we want to commit ourselves to you as we go through this next series. And I pray, Holy Spirit, would you speak to us and inspire us and encourage us? And would we, would we grow in you? And would you add to our story so we have wonderful things to share of what you've done in our lives?